0: and welcome to the third episode of Weaving Myths Season 3. Weaving Myths is a podcast focused on tabletop role-playing games and specifically playing them through the play-by-post format. I'm your host, Nathan, and joining me today is Ruben. Hello. And Colin. Evening, everyone. We are all moderators or administrators on MythWeavers, a play-by-post gaming website, and we're here to help you bring your game to the next level. If you're not familiar with MythWeavers, you can find it at myth-weavers.com. As always, we are joined by the impeccable text chat, which members of Mythweavers are using right now to ask questions and contribute to the discussion. If you, too, would like to be part of the text chat, please feel free to join us at Mythweavers' Twitch channel every other Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This week's topics, we are going to talk about alignments and player conflict. So without any further ado, let's jump right in. The first topic on the agenda is alignment and alignment systems. So... Kind of what we're getting at here is, are alignments good or bad, and if so, what can we replace them with, and those sorts of topics. So, Ruben, would you like to kick us off? Oh, yeah, sure. Push in so, front of the bus. To be fair, he wrote most of the notes. <laughs> uh, that's
1: true. So... Oh, that's
2: be responsible.
1: Yeah, basically, alignment is a code, or lack thereof, that a character adheres to, or some belief... Something that guides how your character reacts. But the most important thing to remember here is actions dictate alignment. Alignment isn't a straitjacket, and it's not a way to force actions from someone. The actions you take during play can change your alignment. It's not that your alignment changes your actions.
2: So when your players burn down that orphanage, they're probably going to shift alignment a little
0: bit. Just a little I'm curious, actually, have any of you ever encountered a situation like that where the players have shifted, like shifted alignment radically like that? Not all at once, but gradually,
1: yeah. I've seen a character's alignment shift in like three or four sessions.
2: Usually, I've seen my players' characters tend to be pretty true to the alignment they've selected. So. You know, if they're going to be playing a little darker, they're going to be more of a chaotic neutral or a chaotic evil as opposed to the good end of the spectrum. Boring end of the spectrum.
1: (laughs) Oh, see, I take offense to that. Good is not boring. Lawful good is
0: also not boring.
2: I do know that Nathan's perspective on the alignment system is a little bit skewed.
0: Well, okay, the reason why is because I've seen people abuse the alignment system to basically justify what they're trying to do. And when they abuse it in such a way that it breaks the game or it makes the game, like, unrealistic, it's a problem. If alignments are done correctly, and I use the term correctly very loosely here, but if they use alignments correctly... Then can actually be a useful tool, I think. And so Sathor the Pyro asked, well, stated, like
1: alignment's not a straight jacket, but what's that about the paladin? And I would argue the paladin, it's not an alignment straight jacket, it's a code, which in many cases is actually the same thing as an alignment. But as the Dungeons and Dragons has evolved to later editions, you've started getting and seeing more and more paladins that have varying codes and varying alignments until with fifth edition i mean i have a paladin who's basically kind of a free loving spread the joy in any way you can hard drinking lady loving type
0: and that's totally know, within his code i would like to point out that dnd fifth edition especially it's more about the personality of the character so in fifth edition they introduced bonds and ideals and there's a couple other categories but traits and flaws yeah traits and flaws Mm -hmm. so in fifth edition introduced those which are kind of used to supplement the alignment system and really your character should be more defined by those than the alignment in general right and I mean, we're jumping ahead a little. bit. That's one way you can replace alignment
1: is with a system of ideals, traits, bonds, flaws or something similar. I would also point out alignment is a really good way to make sure your groups actually gonna get along. I mean, if you've got in the party a lawful good person, a neutral evil person and a chaotic evil person, chances are one of those things is not like the other and is probably gonna create a lot of tension.
0: And you know, we're gonna talk about that later in the show, but Colin, I wanted to ask you. I know you're more familiar with like Stars Without Number and Planet Mercenary and those types of things. Is there a way to like handle alignment in those sorts of situations? Like, I know Stars Without Number doesn't have an explicit alignment system, but is there a way to handle that sort of thing within it?
2: There's nothing preset as far as your characters chaotic good, their lawful evil. There's nothing. Established like that, starts with that number kind of looks at things more as I'd lean towards saying shades of gray, especially given the setting. Planet Mercenary. Planet Mercenary pretty much encourages the entire party to be chaotic. (laughs) Good, neutral, evil. Doesn't matter, chaotic. (laughs) But it's also based on a web comic where you don't really run into the oh, let's follow the law. Everyone's playing mercenaries. I mean, the entire goal of that is make money and screw your enemies over, screw your employers over and, you know, get paid two, three, even four times.
1: How very traveler. (laughs) (laughs) I think on a personal level, I've never really liked alignment, especially I've never liked alignment where it's actually used to mechanical effect. And I think the, trend of moving away from alignment having an actual effect is a very good one and positive for the hobby. Now, it's great if you actually really love alignment, and I would love to actually talk to people who really like it and think it's a good thing. But I think in my personal experience, I haven't met a lot of people like that. I don't think I've ever met someone who was really, really happy and loved the alignment system.
2: I think a lot of that comes back to everyone tries to treat alignments as... A mechanic, and it's supposed to be more just a. Even in the earlier editions, it's always felt more like it's your character's moral compass shaped by how they behave. It's a role-playing tool. It's not a mechanical tool, right? But it. A lot of people turn it into a mechanical tool. Not saying. Well, I could say I'm not saying they're wrong, but it sounds like I'm saying they're wrong. It's just I don't think it was intended to be a mechanics tool. I can see situations where it could be useful, but I don't think it was ever intended as such. It's just, I think the way they approached it was poorly done.
1: So do you guys think alignment is a useful tool for a new player, or does it actually hinder a new player?
0: So it depends, I think, on the system. So with 5th edition, I think alignment is a bit of a second and third thought. It's not like my character is chaotic good, and you don't have to spend the time explaining to them what chaotic good means. Instead, with fifth edition, you should focus on, well, my character has these ideals, bonds, flaws, and traits, and this is what my character really is about, but not so much this is their alignment. Whereas with older systems like 3.5, I think 3.5 definitely focuses really heavily on alignment, and it's a very alignment matters system, I think.
1: Well, alignments also uses the balancing issue in the case of Paladins. Dark Myth Battler brought up a really good point is I don't think there's ever really been a very concrete this is what this alignment is definition. And so because it's so many different things to so many different people, it's hard to get a consensus, which will play into our second topic pretty well like everybody needs to be on the same page of what does lawful good actually mean
2: well i think Mick the rogue raised a good point too right before dark myth battler about alignment also seems like a kind of starter here are your general guidelines for character behavior starting out tool to help new people who don't rp as much or are newer to things which is a fair argument it can absolutely be used that way
1: It's
0: just, I think we have better tools for doing that these days than alignment. You know, I think part of it stems from when you're writing a character, there are so many more ways to define what your character is than a pair of words chosen off of a three-by-three grid. Like, ultimately, a good character cannot be defined by that grid. It's more about the character as a whole rather than... This is my alignment. You know, I think it's also important to point out alignment is not just a DD
1: and d thing. It might be called different things in other systems, but a lot of systems have something like alignment. Like the old world of darkness had nature and demeanor. The new world of darkness has a virtue and a vice. A lot of the hindrances in savage worlds function a lot like an alignment. And then you have something like fate, where your high concept and trouble are a little bit like alignment. They're all just role-playing tools to kind of give
0: you a set of guidelines to play the characters you think they should be played. And you know, I'm really glad you brought up Fate because I was actually going to ask what your thoughts were on that as far as like troubles and high concepts and all that go in terms of defining a character. I think with Fate probably handles this sort of thing maybe the best I'd be willing to go out on a limb and say, just because it's not about like what your character is what your character's alignment is. It's more about what your character can and cannot do and what they believe in rather than what their true alignment is. Partially, although
1: it's important to remember in Fate that troubles can often be external instead of internal. They could be a force working against the character. High concept, I think, is the closest to alignment. And even then, you get these very broad, like the best aspects are very broad and kind of double-edged and so sometimes you can make them so broad as to be almost not as useful. You don't have to use like the alignment just as alignment is presented. One thing I've done in D and D is actually replaced all the standard two words like lawful good and all that stuff with the titles. So instead of being lawful good, you're a crusader. Instead of being lawful neutral, you're a judge. Candidate neutral is free spirits. And suddenly, when you start bringing in these more descriptive words instead of being very straight jacketed, Crusader is a pretty wide definition and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But everyone could generally agree a Crusader is probably not going to burn down the orphanage.
0: Now, I am curious what your guys' thoughts are on the replacement. And I, I use this in quotes for those of you listening to the audio recording. but the replacement alignment systems where they add like chaotic good with neutral tendencies or like it's these huge grids of, it's almost like a tree almost. You're talking
1: like the five by five grid and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, like that or even there's there's an even more complex one where it's like you have every different possible variation of the combinations of three different alignments. So I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on those sorts of things. Back in the old 2E planescape,
1: all the planes actually used to be described like that. So you'll have the neutral, evil neutral, or they're almost like mostly this alignment but shading toward this other one as well. I think they're just all variations on what is primarily a mostly archaic system. They're good because they give you more variation, but I still don't really like them all that much. But it should be noted, I don't play a lot of systems that use alignment like that anyway. What do you think, Colin?
2: Well, I mean, the last time I played a system with alignment was Fifth Ed, and it was Nathan's Pond Game.
1: Oh, or the one
2: I was running for Tabletop. Yep, yep. But I mean even then Nathan's pond game it was more of just honestly I only cared about the alignment because it was required for the character application <laughs> for the rubric I mean for the rubric of player demoralization yes
0: uh, to be fair <laughs> I, on the on the rubric like even if we go as far as as like using it as a tool to determine what character should be in a game it's really not that important in terms of your character. Like, there are more important things than what your alignment is, ultimately, right? I think alignment, as far
1: as, like, doing applications, I feel is much better for weeding things out than it is for picking things. I mean, if I see somebody applying to one of my games with chaotic evil alignment, I'm like, you're probably not gonna fit in this game.
2: Well, I will say one thing I did like about how Nathan treated the alignment because so the character I made was an inquisitor, was a custom class for Nathan's campaign setting. But what I ran into is, you know, I had no idea what the hell his alignment should be because he's a monster. He's absolutely a monster, but he doesn't think he's a monster. You know, that's
1: a thing that a lot of people forget. No evil character actually thinks they're evil. Oh, no, there are evil characters that absolutely think they're evil. Okay, yeah, some of the edgelords. <laughs> and, I would argue they don't really... They're not all that interesting.
2: Well, I, I mean, did like... I liked how Nathan treated it because, you know, he helped choose my character's alignment based on how my character saw himself. Because you know, what I ran into is, okay, you know, are we going how he views himself? or Are we going by... How everyone else sees him because everyone else sees him, and he's a bloody
0: monster. Great A sociopath. To add on to that, personally, I don't know if this is how everybody views it, but as far as alignment goes, I think ultimately it does come down to how the character views themselves because when a character thinks they should act a certain way, their behavior is not defined necessarily by external factors. It's more about how the character views themselves and what standards they hold themselves to. So in that particular situation, it made sense to me to go with how Colin's character viewed himself. Because it's not about, especially with the type of character that Colin's character was, it's not about how society views him. It's about how he expects himself to behave given the circumstances.
2: A bit of clarification, because Scyther the Pyro says "You know, the Inquisitor sounds like the lawful good, in parentheses, stupid alignment. And no, he was actually chaotic good. Much less paladin, much more Spanish Inquisition, we're going to torture you to death because the gods will it. You shoplifted that one time, and for that, you deserve to die.
1: See, and to make my point, if you're in my game, that's chaotic evil,
2: without a question. So, and absolutely, that's why I got sucked because, you know, to me, if it was society's view, he would absolutely be evil. Because he was fighting evil, but the methods were pretty dark. I got Nathan to kind of pause on the how he tortures people blurb. Yeah, Um, that
1: was an interesting read. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would argue the moment you torture someone, you're just evil.
2: Well, my favorite part, because Nathan was expecting, oh, you know, oh, he uses torture tools. He cuts on people. He does this that, and It's like, no, he uses complete sensory deprivation on the subject. And then I sent Nathan articles and stuff just so Nathan could get how really screwed up that was.
0: I mean, you're not wrong, you <laughs> did. but, but, you know, this kind of makes a good point. Ultimately is kind of how the player and the GM interact with one another and come to that determination together right? Like, it's not just my character is this. It's through the actions that my character is taking and the ideas that he is trying to uphold, we arrive at a alignment together. And that alignment, I will admit, really did not define the character, but it kind of helped shape how the rest of the world perhaps viewed that character. I will say,
2: though, that perspective on how the character views themselves versus how everyone else sees them raises interesting questions for things like a detect alignment spell.
1: Which is why I think those spells are stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm you're not wrong. (laughs) Uh, Let me backtrack. There are people who like them, and that's awesome. D&D contains multitudes, and nobody plays wrong. I personally hate them, never use them.
0: And you know, that's the really cool thing about D&D. Like, no matter how you interpret the rules and how you make these really complex decisions about alignment, ultimately, it can still be fun for everybody, regardless of what you're doing. This just goes down, if you've got to use alignment in a game, you need to sit down with your entire
1: group and really hash out what alignment means in this game and what alignment means to everybody and reach a group consensus. Before you throw the first die, it needs to be actually hammered out. I think that's the main reason alignment is so reviled and nobody really likes using it. Most people don't take the time to sit down and hammer out definitions of what alignment means in this game and in this world.
2: Just a tangent slightly, Tiffany Corda points out the uh, Belcar approach to detect evil. Oh, just hold up a see lead. Yeah, for those not familiar with the webcomic Order of the Stick, Belkar is the evil halfling ranger that carries a lead sheet to dodge detect evil
0: spells. (laughs) (laughs) At all
2: times, lead sheet. Uh, Yeah, and
1: State the Pyro brings up a good point. It's easy to sit down and talk about alignment in a tabletop game. If you're doing play-by-post, it can take very long, which is why either use Discord or, you know what? There's lots of other good alternatives to alignment. What are some of them?
0: I mean, first of all, the first thing that comes to mind for me is don't use it at all and instead focus on your character's past and potential future or planned future, like goals for themselves. Like what goals are they trying to achieve and what methods are they willing to use to achieve those goals at that point you just throw out alignment completely and you just say okay well this is what my character is willing to do to accomplish their goals and that defines what the character's alignment is yeah the other thing i've done especially with 5e i just
1: i still kind of use alignment it's a token vestige. write something down in your sheet you think vaguely applies but i'll just use bonds trades, flaws and and the one I always forget. Goal. Yeah. Ideals. Thank you. I think they make a much more rounded character, and it's a lot easier for people to understand them, because you just write down what they are. So there's really no... There's no disagreement. So, and the thing I should point out, because Seythra the Pyro says he hated those D6 tables, you are not limited to the tables with those. Those tables are just the Quick suggestions for people who don't want to make up their own. You've never been limited to your own. And you're certainly at least not limited to those on the table for your background.
0: I want to point out that I forget the exact page, but I want to say it's either 234 or 237 of the 5th edition player's handbook. Specifically points out how to customize the background for your characters. And see, so you just busted
2: out page numbers now. He's grabbing a PvP,
0: yeah. I I think that's PhD. the page numbers, but I'm not 100% sure. But there's uh, a, there's a... <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> but, back in the spells section, dude. Customizing <laughs> backgrounds,
1: I thought it was earlier. Oh, you said 234, 237. It's either the <laughs> spell magic or fireball.
0: I'm just gonna go. Over here, in shame, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. <laughs> okay, so, but I do remember that there is a very specific page in the player's handbook that talks about customizing backgrounds and changing 120- them. You're only off by 100 pages. It's 123, or 125. I
2: was so close. Dang it. <laughs> yeah, it's only off by a 100. Well, Minor statistical glitch. I tried. <laughs> Actually, I give him
1: credit for that because it's a lot easier to add 100 close enough for government
0: work. But Scyther the Pyro oh, right. says that it was frustrating guiding beginners through the bonds, ideals, flaws, and traits of the fifth edition Player's Handbook. And it can be very frustrating to do that, especially with people who have never role played before. I think the key to that is, as a GM, guiding your players away from the book. In that case, while the book is a good guideline for those sorts of things, it may be better to kind of say, well, what does your character want to accomplish and how would they go about accomplishing that? And then saying, okay, well, maybe based on that, these ideals or these traits might apply.
1: One thing I've dealt with new players, especially for stuff like that, I will go through a guided exercise. I will say, okay, you wake up in the morning, you hit the nightstand and wash your face and you look in the mirror. What do you see? And that helps them kind of figure out race. And then like you go down stones for breakfast and the breakfast is late. How do you react to that? Then you go out to buy something and how do you treat the merchants? And, oh, <laughs> Nate gets a fresh drink or I unfollow.
0: I was just reading that and I'm like, I'm actually still a bit on the Incoherent side? <laughs> no, <laughs> never. Nah, but Mrs. Nate can attest that I'm actually very good at hiding it. So, <laughs> no, you're not. No, oh. no, you're not.
1: Everybody <laughs> thinks they are. Nobody is. So, yeah, another thing I've done to kind of replace alignments is I have pulled in a High Concept and Trouble from Fate. That's a generic enough thing that you can graft it onto almost any game, including even doing Compels. It's just what you hand over instead of a fate point might be a reroll. Or if it's like Savage Worlds, you can give them a Benny, stuff like that. <sighs> yeah, Eric, you came too late. <laughs> you can also pull basically any alignment system from another game. You can usually graft on to the system you're playing now. So grab Virtue Advice from Chronicles of Darkness, or grab Trouble and High Concept. Hell, you could actually throw D&D's alignment into a fake game if you really wanted to, just make it an aspect. It's not something I'd recommend, personally, but you could totally do it.
0: So, I'm curious, Ruben, actually, for a Shadowrun game, how would you handle this sort of thing? Man, I mean, I run a lot of Shadowrun. I generally
1: handled it by bribing my players. <laughs> so... If- <laughs> If players did something that I thought would actually earn them karma, as in the actual name karma, I would give them more karma. So if you took the run to steal a bunch of food for these poor, starving wage slaves out in the barrens, you would not get much money for that run, but you would earn way more karma. And that comes from the old first and second edition days, where it's just where I cut my teeth and where I still think it was the most correct in that. The closer you act to kind of the hooder type that I prefer to run for, the more I'm gonna reward you with cool character stuff.
0: Okay. I was just curious, because Shadowrun <laughs> is not very good about handling like alignment per se. Well Shadowrun never had a system for that, and I think it's a
1: rarity in that a lot of games have had some sort of alignment type system. Shadowrun never did. And for the record, say Thor. I really like the rules of 4th edition, but I really love the flavor of 1st and 2nd.
0: I would agree with that. The 2nd edition flavor was fantastic, but the rules of like 3.5 onward, I really liked. I'm talking Shadowrun, specifically. Oh, sorry. Go (laughs) on. Here I am like, oh, we're back in D&D land. Yeah, no problem.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. D&D, I'm... I've actually played every single edition of D&D. I think all of them have something wonderful to offer. I personally really like 5th edition, but I also yeah. really like 4th and played it all through its entire run. Yeah. Shadowrun, I've never liked Black Trenchcoat. I thought the moment that got introduced, it was just...
0: It's too serious.
1: Of, it's way too serious. But it, made, it made the players way too paranoid. Yep. Then again, I thought Shadowrun peaked with Dream Chipper, so... <laughs> Back in my day when we used to jack <laughs> our brains into the matrix with a cable. <laughs> All do you young punks with your comlinks
0: and your whoosits and your whatsits. <laughs> All right. So, do we have any closing thoughts before we move on to the next topic? I don't
1: know. Thacko is wacko if you're a teen.
0: And <laughs> Nathan.
2: Yeah. What's up? How's that empty glass doing? It's sad and empty. So you're saying if more alcohol appeared, you'd refill it? I... No. Wow, that was a lie. <laughs> this is Nate.
0: There's the cue. Can if you we... drop off the bottle, he'll refill it. All right, let's get through the next topic, and then we will move on to more alcohol <laughs> I... for Nathan. <laughs> You mean player conflict? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so all together now, what's the key to resolving player conflict? Communication.
0: Communication.
2: And when communication <laughs> fails baseball bat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, sir, I may have another. Sir. So ultimately, what we're getting at here is when there is a disagreement or a conflict, like, as the topic name suggests, if there's a conflict between players, we're trying to talk about how to resolve that or what the best way to handle that sort of situation is. Obviously, number one, you got to talk to people to fix problems. So all of us have said over and over and over throughout the entire history of the show that communication is essential, and that is Rule number one when it comes to handling this sort of conflict.
1: Yeah, we harp on it every episode for a reason. It's because it works. When actually, so we've harped on communication a lot, but we really haven't actually gone into how to do this in depth. Kind of the first thing I would recommend is when you're trying to communicate, don't communicate in absolutes. It's a two way conversation. You need to really listen to each other. Player and GM, you need to listen to each other and you need to actually understand what it is you're saying. Try repeating back what it is you heard, just so people understand that's what's going on. It's it works in therapy and it also
0: works in resolving player issues. And you know, I will I would like to point out that handling conflict between players, it depends a lot on what they're arguing about. Sometimes it's just a rules question where you have to step in and make a ruling. But, other things, you kind of have to use your own judgment, and in some rare cases, it can be, well, he said this, and she said that, and I didn't like it. Wah. and it's you gotta make a <laughs> you gotta make a judgment call sometimes as to what exactly the problem really is before moving forward with a solution of any kind, right. And when it does come to rules conflicts realize
1: humans are infallible you can get it wrong don't be afraid to admit you were wrong goodness knows i played five editions and more of d sometimes i'll get a rule wrong i'll make a ruling at one point if someone brings up hey i don't think that was right then listen to them and don't be afraid to admit hey i was wrong we're gonna let the old ruling stand but going forward i'm gonna use the correct rules
2: Another big thing too, so communicating at the table is a lot different from communicating in play by post. So one thing you've really got to keep in mind and something that happens a lot is you know the tone you intend when you type the post, when you send the post. No one else can see your body language. There's no text-to-speech tone translation you have to keep in mind the communication medium that's in use. If you're sending posts with unspoken tone, no one else is going to get that. So you could have meant something one way, and everyone reads it as you're the angry, raving, lunatic player.
1: Right. Tend to remember text usually comes out
2: flatter and harsher than usually you intend. Oh, yes. especially. Text formatting can be a godsend. Italics, all that. Our emoji, even,
1: as much as I hate to admit um. <laughs> it. But Colin, you know, you're really crackly. I'm really crackly? Yes. Yeah.
2: Interesting. Is,
1: is your mic rubbing against your beard? Very possibly.
2: <laughs> How is it now? Uh,
1: better. Way better. I really, I think it was your mic rubbing against the
2: your beard. The mic was rubbing against my beard. Technical problems for the bearded individual.
0: Yeah, individuals. Yep. Yep. Hey, look, alcohol is kicking in. So I want to make a mention of something. that. So outside of Mythweavers and Weaving Myths, I actually am a customer service representative for a company. And all of my communication is done through text. I don't speak to people. It's all entirely written. So, like emails and live chat forums, or not live chat forums, but like live chat messages. And the way you phrase things is very different in that sort of setting from spoken word. Because when you're speaking, obviously with your voice, you can use your tone to express, like, oh, well, I'm very sorry about this. And instead, you have to use more words. In written form to express true meaning. So, as someone who deals with this literally every day and dealt with it for eight hours today, (laughs) it's a huge difference between speaking to someone and writing to someone to convey a diplomatic message.
2: (laughs) All right. I have Um, to go off topic just briefly here. Tickle me, Cujo. I am not going to shave a mic groove in the beard. (laughs) although
1: i am trying to convince all my mods to do movember and i think if we raise enough money we should uh we should get colin to shave and regrow and i'm talking a ridiculous amount of money
2: i can't shave the beard
1: (laughs) what about the mustache could you shave shave the mustache part
2: mrs colin about went nuclear when I cut the beard down to half inch, oh man! All right, so she you're out. Angry, yeah. No. But you don't clean shave. No, that's out. I can find at some point. I'll find just for all of y'all. I'll find the picture of me clean shaven.
1: Oh, you know what? That sounds like a Patreon exclusive. I'm down with that. Uh, yeah. You know what else? No, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get Nathan to
0: grow a really horrible mustache. Oh please. <laughs> Oh no! All right, I will do it. I guess if we raise enough money. <laughs> so remember that discussions and communication is an ongoing thing.
1: It's if there's a problem, it's not just we have one discussion and then we're done. It's keep coming back and revisiting things, checking in with people, making say, "Hey, is so everything still going good? We still good? We feel good about this?" Just
0: continual communication. And you know. I will mention that there is, on play-by-post, it's harder, but there is the potential for too much communication. It can be to the point where you are starting to annoy people with how much you're talking to them. It's, on play-by-post, like I said, it's much harder to do, but it can be a thing where you annoy them to the point where it's like, look, I just don't want to hear about or talk about this anymore. Can we just move on and do something else? Uh, right. Uh, I think
1: that's a problem that's much easier to correct than not enough.
2: Nathan? Yeah. Sarek, uh found a picture that I really feel needs to be shown.
0: No. <laughs> no. Oh, yes. N- no. Oh, God. There you go, folks.
2: That's that it. happened. That was-
0: happened. He this beat you to it. This is how the show ends. <laughs> <laughs> Not with a
1: bang. Not with a bang, but with a wimpy beard.
2: <laughs> uh, that was uh, that was right before shaving. Oh, man. That's, you know, that's actually a pretty good look for you. Is I think I can pull off the uh, mutton chops bit. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. There we go. Oh, man. You all want clean shaven? I got clean shaven. Oh, dear. Oh, yes.
0: Oh, dear.
2: You know, Weaving myths where we tangent. Horrible. Yeah. We're really good at that. <laughs> there you go, folks. That is Colin clean-shaven. Huh. I know, right? Hmm. <laughs> so... Nathan, the expression on your face makes it all. Hmm.
1: So what happens when we've... We've communicated a lot, but the player is just so frustrated and they leave the game.
0: You know, ultimately, it comes down to that's a decision the player needs to make for themselves. You can make the decision for them. It will not end well in most cases, in my experience. Asking people to leave a play-by-post game 99.9% of the time does not go well. I've yet to... Well...
2: I've had it go okay where the person's been having a lot of issues posting and they know it. Sometimes it could be a mercy. Sometimes it's a mercy. But that's going to be more of a rarity. Yeah, no, it's...
1: And a thing to remember is, in the situation where this happens, maybe check in with the player in a month or two after maybe frustrations have died down. Maybe see, hey, do you want to come back? Do you feel differently
0: now? There's still a spot for you. And you know, that I think is an important point. If a player decides to leave a game, maybe check and see if it's with the understanding that they will never come back or they may come back eventually. If they think they might come back eventually, it might be beneficial for the game to leave a spot for them, not immediately jump to, I'm going to re-recruit for this game. It can be beneficial, especially when games are going on for a long time, for players to be able to duck in and duck out as necessary. So even if it's not caused by a player conflict, but it's just a real-life situation, allowing players to come and go kind of naturally can be a good thing for the life of the game, especially when players come back. When a new player joins, they usually have a lot of enthusiasm for the game again. So they can... Rejoin and breathe new life into a game that might otherwise have been kind of slowing down.
2: And Tiffany Corda points out, don't kill their character either. Right. I'm a little Shuffle them off the buffalo. There. I'm a little hypocritical there. I have definitely spike killed characters back in the day, mostly with well, the tabletop groups, though not not play by post. Well,
1: I think uh, one of the reasons. To get good at giving advice, you have to make a whole lot of
2: mistakes. And we've all Great made a whole lot of mistakes.
0: <laughs> mistakes. Yep. <laughs> oh that is true. and I
2: have been site staff for a decade now. Y'all are right behind us, too, I believe. Yeah. I would actually have to
1: look. I don't even know how long I've been on the staff.
0: I've been staff since, I think it was late 2011, so... Well, and I was staffed before you joined.
2: Jeez. Yeah, Nathan's really weird bit was the time when I came back. Oh, yeah, you were gone for a while. I was gone for almost three years because 14-plus-hour shifts in the Navy, there's no creativity left. On your days off, you sleep and drink. It numbs the pain. Warm,
1: warming, warming
0: (laughs) booze. All right, so... (laughs) <laughs> to continue on with our current topic. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, we've got a topic. <laughs> oh, yeah, we back have that. To that. So I would like to mention that nothing necessarily has to swing in the favor of one player or another. So if you have a conflict between two players, you don't necessarily want to say, well, this player's right, and here's why. You want to kind of come up with a compromise. And part of that process of coming up with a compromise is to give everyone a turn. So you want to make sure that everyone has a chance to voice their opinion or voice their explanation of how they think sh- things should turn out. This is especially true if you don't know like for sure what a ruling should be. Like I don't know necessarily how every rule in D&D interacts with every other rule. You might also give a chance for everybody to chime in and be like, well, I think it works like this, and I think it works like this, and I agree with person A. Uh, and when you're doing this, make sure no one person dominates the conversation. Or spins around in their chair. It's fun. <laughs> um, We're adults, folks. Adults we sure are, are. We are. We are professional podcasters. <laughs> Curse the video chat.
2: Um, God, I pray we never get that popular. <laughs> that would be terrifying. I am adding entertainment value. That's solid gold hits, that is.
1: You know, I had a point. And then Mr. Whiskey took the point behind the alleyway and
2: beat I it up and jumped out of your ear
0: and go running away. <laughs> <laughs> so I know most of this discussion has been focused on player versus player conflict, but what happens when you as the GM are involved in the conflict and like you have a stake in what's going on? Clarify you put on your Viking bit. hat, you tell them how it goes. <laughs> I am the law barbarian. Mm.
1: More seriously, you open up the dialogue and you give all the players to chime in, and you make it an actual quorum. At most, the GM is first among equals. Make sure you're actually listening. Taking criticism or admitting you're wrong is really hard. Realize this. And maybe if you can, you know, ask your wife, ask a friend. Get an outside perspective on this. That can often help. If you're too close to the issue, ask for a third-party perspective and ask from someone you know who's actually going to be honest.
2: That's a big part. You definitely make sure it's no one that you uh, game with, currently at least.
1: Yeah, currently. Uh, Although asking past players or other GMs that you don't currently game with, that's always good. You want to ask somebody who's actually got knowledge of the problem in question. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't ask grandma because grandma probably... (laughs) Well, Grandma's incredibly biased is going to take your side, but...
0: So, I do have a, a bit of an anecdote here that I would like to throw out. <laughs> New brace so, for uh, monologue. <laughs> <laughs> not really, but in one of my recent tabletop sessions, I had a really intense role-playing moment with one of my players. The players were dealing with a noble that did not want to give them the information they were looking for. So it kind of resulted in an argument between me as the noble and one of the player characters and honestly got kind of heated. And at one point, I had to kind of stop and say, hold on, is everybody okay with this? Like, is this okay? So it can be good to kind of, especially if it's an in-character conflict, just step back and say, hey, is everybody okay with this? Is everybody comfortable? Like, can... Is this an okay thing? Because out of that interaction, ultimately that turned out to be one of the most rewarding and most fleshed out role-playing events that I've ever experienced in my years of playing D&D. So I would like to point out that conflict between characters can be good, but conflict between players is usually not.
1: (laughs) Oh, that just comes down to separating in-character and out-of-character knowledge.
0: Definitely, which we talked about last episode, which you should totally go watch if you haven't yet. <laughs> yep, Nathan's sober on that one. This week's Game of the Week is <laughs> Doomsday Dawn, being run by none other than Chibi Amy. With the recent release of, Path- of the Pathfinder 2.0 playtest, it should be no surprise that this game has made the list of games of the week. Doomsday Dawn is the pre-written campaign designed for use with the Pathfinder playtest. Each chapter of the campaign is designed to advance players at least one level to allow for maximum playtest potential. And the story itself focuses on the potential of a portal opening and allowing an endless horde of horrors into the world. If you've been curious to try the new Pathfinder mechanics, this is the game to give it a go. Chibi Amy has said that this isn't going to be a particularly fast-paced game, so it's fantastic for really savoring everything the new rule set has to offer. Speaking from experience, Chibi Amy is a top-notch role player and one of the most active members on the site, so you're definitely in for a fantastic, ch- fantastic time. Applications for Doomsday Dawn close on September twentieth, so there's still plenty of time to get in an application. If you're looking for an excellent GM, a brand new system, and a great game, this is the one for you. All right, so with that being said, the free-for-all segment of the show is back again. In this segment of the show, we're going to open the floor for questions and answers, but we're also going to allow myself and fellow casters to talk about anything we'd like. As always, this is going to be pretty unstructured, but it gives us the freedom to talk about other things and still answer questions as they come in. So before we get started, there is, as always, the mandatory question, what's making us happy this week? We are going to start with Colin.
2: Chirp. Chirp. Hey, let me turn mute off on the uh, headset. Yeah. <laughs> so to reiterate, Nathan, right there, buddy, what's making me happy this week? I found a new web host. Okay. I'm not enjoying the recreation of website part, but found a new web host that's a great web host, so...
1: All right, uh, Ruben. Well, almost all the parts of my computer have arrived. People can see all the big, giant boxes. Ooh,
0: fancy pants.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm building the No is Spared Adobe Crusher. Even the case is nice. I'm happy. Even got a new monitor. Nice. Oh, what case? Ooh, la-la. Ooh I went with the... This beast. Which it's all is... This um, no, it's a HyperCase. Not sure. Huh. Looks a lot like. Oh, a it's Li a Li case. fractal design case.
2: Ah. Yeah, I will say, so I love the Lee and Lee cases, but God, that price that they charge for them. Yeah, it's. Well, this is the first new computer case I think I've had in
1: a decade. <laughs> for about a decade, I've just been frankensteining the old computer into a new one. Yeah, it's the fractal design R5. That's exactly the case I got, Shimi. Yeah, the only thing I'm waiting on is my CPU, which I'm getting from my buddy. Nice. Having friends who work at Intel is nice. (laughs) Ooh. Uh, Yeah. Also, (laughs) Bully League starts next week.
2: I'm excited. Hype? Oh, hey. I just realized another thing I'm happy about, Nathan. The replacement nib for my fountain pen came in today.
0: Uh Ah. I've never been much much good a... I've never been much of one for fountain pens myself, but I, I do know there's a pretty healthy community around them.
2: So I was, because uh, I'd been using a fountain pen at work, that's stopping now because I was rushing to a meeting, didn't cap it, slipped and dropped it, and it fell and landed perfectly point down.
1: Mm. Man, I think the last time I used an actual fountain pen was one of my drawing classes in art school. Oh, I love my fountain
2: pen. Uh my handwriting's crappy. Actually going to a fountain pen switched me back to writing in cursive.
1: So, I was a lefty, they made right righty. No, oh, you poor poor guy. <laughs> so yeah, my my handwriting's crappy with
0: both hands. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right, so what's making me happy this week is two things. First of all, the Mythweavers Fantasy Football League kicked off on Thursday. We did our live draft. Um, Oh, crap, I missed that. (laughs) So we got that started. And then my bachelor party is in just under a week. Next weekend is my bachelor party. So much hype about that. Nate, gonna see some boobies. Oh, Oh, my God. Probably not, to be honest. No. Really? Who's in charge of your bachelor party? That would be my best friend.
2: In other words, someone not as fun as us, (laughs) Ruben. Oh, yeah. It's probably a very good thing I'm not remotely involved in that. Yeah.
1: Also probably a good thing you don't live in Portland, because, yeah, we'd have to drag you home
2: covered in (laughs) glitter.
0: Oh, I've only
2: been... Oh, no, no, no. Well, we can't go into that topic. Yeah, but we Europe are on Twitch,
0: so we do have to keep it kind of PG-13. <laughs> Without referencing specific subject
2: area Ruben, Europe mm. is better. Is mm. <laughs> Nathan uh, uh, just uh, specifically to
1: blush. that kind of Amsterdam sort of area?
2: Not Italy. Uh, uh ooh. <laughs>
0: All right. So now that we've got the, say no more, uh, say no more. <laughs> now that we've got the mandatory question out of the way, we're going to open the floor. So if anybody has any questions, you're welcome to ask them. Be it about previous episodes, previous topics, new topics, future topics, whatever you want to know, feel free to ask it. But uh, yeah, we're just going to kind of chit chat now. I think, uh, Ruben, what is it that you are clicking?
2: <laughs> oh, I was resisting the urge to ask. So these are little binders (laughs) for the
1: temporary shades I have up since we're going to repaint soon. Okay. (laughs) And this is so satisfying. (laughs) I didn't know you guys could hear that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, well. Yeah. Just so I can uh, be old for a minute. Yeah. You need to go to whatever big box hardware store you like better, and get one of the Wagner paint sprayers. Oh, oh, hmm. oh they're worth it. They're so worth it. Really? Yeah, like now, the higher-cost models, because even the higher-cost ones are still affordable.
0: Worth it. Question. And, yeah? Are they worth it if I'm going to paint a door? Ooh. Yes,
2: because it won't stop at the door and you'll keep finding uses for it. Okay. And the uh, color cost models come with a detailing nozzle setup and a broad area sprayer. So, okay. if I am correct, the Wagner models need the air compressor, right? No. No, no, no. They've got oh, a oh. Uh, they've got a built-in blower unit. Oh. It's a low pressure system that works beautifully.
1: Yeah, but we've got a lot of like you guys can kind of see a little bit of this place. There's a lot of trim, and not a lot oh, yeah. of walls. No, there's a detail sprayer. Oh man, that may well very much be worth it, especially
2: because we have to. We've got the big high ceilings, and I could just do the ceilings in a quick spray. Oh yeah, you rotate the feed nozzle 180 degrees through the bottle back on,
0: and oh man, do high angle painting. Yeah. Well, the reason I was asking is because I don't know how many people know about this, but about a week ago. The company I have that comes and mows my lawn on occasion when it gets too out of hand, they shattered the window of my rear entry door. Ooh. So I'm having to replace the whole door and we ordered it, but it doesn't come painted. So, do you have a paint roller? Not yet. It's just as easy to roll a door out. Yeah.
1: But, you know, I'm old school. <laughs> Although, man, I got a lot of walls to paint. Maybe I will get that paint sprayer. Uh, Ruben, in the Twitch chat, I just gave you the link to
2: the good one. Ah, the death spot. Yeah. Oh, that's actually that. You so get assuming- the uh, detail nozzle. You get the uh, wide air. So assuming that cuts by paint time in half. Oh, it cuts in less than half.
1: Oh, yeah. It's totally worth it just on time versus money. Oh, yeah. No, it's way faster. Oh. So Spockzilla wants to know what's our favorite Jackie Chan movie.
2: Oh, hey, a real question. Hey, let's uh, let's get away from home renovation
0: mode. You know, um, we're old. I don't remember the name of the movie.
2: You know, I um, will say Spockzilla. Rumble in the Bronx is not my favorite Jackie Chan movie. Nope. My I'm favorite to-
0: is Who Am I. You know, I think. Oh, man. I can't remember the name of the movie. It's the one where he's a cop. Rush Hour? Yeah, that's the one. I I can't help it. I can't help it. It's just so, I don't know. It's like so cheesy and so funny and like it's just good. (laughs) Hey, Spugzilla agrees with me.
2: Who Am I is wonderful because it was the start of Jackie's move to uh, English speaking audiences. So the first half of the movie is definitely dubbed, and the second half is him speaking English. <laughs> like, the first half, I swear, is dubbed over. It's him, but it's definitely dubbed. Like, the mouth doesn't quite line up. And then <laughs> halfway through, he's speaking English. You know, I think I am to have to go with the original Drunken Master. I don't know. Who Am I had some of his more ambitious stunts, though? The uh, infamous roof slide on the skyscraper with angled uh, glass was from Who Am I?
1: True, but I think Drug and Master had the better fight scenes. I think it's the first time we really see that Jackie Chan improvised weapon
0: fighting. I could see that. You know, this isn't a Jackie Chan movie, but I did also... It's not like one of my favorite movies, but it was pretty all right. But I did like um, Jet Li in The One. Oh yeah,
1: uh you know what I really liked too was Barry Gordy's "The Last Dragon." Yeah,
0: someone followed. They did a thing. Who was it? It was Spockzilla. <laughs> Spockzilla. Hey, Spockzilla, thank you for the follow. Spockzilla. Who's the baddest?
1: <laughs>
2: Show enough. Who's the hot? Ha- who's the Shogun of Harlem?
0: I will Show say nuff. though,
2: it's it's painful seeing. Uh, I don't remember what Jet Lee has going on medically, but it's painful seeing the effect it's had on him.
1: Right? Yeah. Oh, what's, what's it got going on? Oh, God, I, I don't I remember. I forget exactly what
0: it's called. Let's see. So, I see Sarah Cock has suggested to give me a sledgehammer. That seems like a terrible idea right now. Hyperthyroidism.
1: Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, oh hyperthyroidism?
1: My wife
0: uh,
2: has
1: that. But Jet Lee looks... It's hard to get it
2: medicated correctly. Oh, no, he looks rough. Yeah, he does. Like, he looks like he's aged 40 years. So,
1: my question to you guys, Beastmaster, great movie or best
0: movie? Never seen it. No. (laughs) Legitimately, I've never seen it. Man, you gotta watch Beastmaster. Wasn't that a TV
2: show before it was a movie? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure there's
0: a show called Beastmaster. Can't remember the guy's okay. name. Oh, he doesn't look that bad. Okay, Jimmy wants to know, which would you rather fight? One horse-sized cheese or 30 cheese-sized horses? Well, what, size what kind of,
2: is the cheese?
0: Yeah, what kind of cheese are we talking?
1: Are we talking like a Limburger, Or are we talking something more like a, like a provolone?
2: I mean, regardless, I've got at least 20 pounds of stuff in the basement I can make go boom, so I can handle large mops.
1: I'm thinking one horse-sized cheese. I'm not thinking the cheese is going to be much of a threat. The single, the single large, large cheese, cheese is cheddar. <laughs> now, we're talking California cheddar, Wisconsin cheddar, a nice aged
2: Irish cheddar.
0: Okay, oh. God. God. Okay, we can't do this. We can't do cheese again.
2: Yes, we can. No, please. Because we have no, you know what we haven't done? Cheese on video.
0: No, please. <clears throat> we can't do cheese again.
2: <laughs> hey, Ruben? Yeah? I want you to know, uh, so the Beastmaster TV show was a spin-off of the movie. Okay, so the TV show didn't come first. No, no, no. The movie came first. The TV show spun off of it. And okay. he had two ferrets that they kept calling weasels, if I remember right. Well, it was Kodo and Podo. Yes. Mm. See what we that's have what here. That's what helped make me want ferrets. I had two ferrets when I was a kid. See what we have here is a nice Cotswold. Ooh, ooh. I see. Okay. Two. Yep. That's why I, I have two a contribution
0: parts. to the cheese discussion. Actually, tread carefully. I don't remember the name of the cheese. However, Mrs. Nate and I did our tasting for the wedding food this last week. Oh that's always fun. Yeah, it was fun. However, they had one of the dishes is a pasta and mm. the pasta has a certain cheese on it and to me that cheese tasted like eggnog. Oh. What's Yeah, the I don't I have no idea. It did not like it's not a flavor that I would combine with pasta normally.
2: I will say I'll have to take uh, y'all's word for how it is with the tastings because I didn't get to do any of that leading to the wedding.
0: Oh, that's a bummer. That sucks. You missed out. Mrs.
2: Oh, no, I know I did. No, so Mrs. Collin left uh, the Middle East two months before I did to get mm-hmm. out of the Navy. Ah. So she, she did it all, though. Out, she got out. She got went uh back uh, to my parents' place, and she, my mom, and my dad did all the tastings, and I just sat on Skype from overseas going, yeah, sure, whatever you guys say. You say it's <laughs> good, all right, cool, it's,
0: it's good, go with it. Just mail me some, I'm sure it'll keep. <laughs> so Chimi has demanded that we answer this question, how many kinds of cheese can Grok name? That sounds like an Nathan question. Don't one. ask me, qu- I don't know. Who created intelligence What's his Grok intelligence, no What's Ruben no intelligence dwarf score? Head Ruben, who created Grok again? Uh, I don't actually know. What's his intelligence score? Because I don't remember.
1: <laughs> Slow, no, Grok no one cheese. Grok named dwarf head cheese. His only cheese, Grok no.
0: I mean, he probably knows at least two. Uh, Grok also know pub cheese. Well, the thing is, I think if I remember correctly, oh, his intelligence geez. bonus is like minus one, so he knows negative one cheeses. <laughs> so well,
1: it's always so it's always a minimum of one, so he knows one cheese. Okay. And I will say, Grok no squeezy cheese.
0: <laughs> Clearly, we need a uh, little bit of Grok art. Yeah, you know, I mean, I would not be opposed. If anyone... In the weaving myths community or myth weavers community, is artistically inclined. Feel free to you know do a piece of art for Grok. We could totally use some art for him at some point. Grock
2: squeeze the juice. <laughs> I'll, I'll mention it to Ambika. Okay. For anyone that uh, hasn't uh, seen her little five minute
0: sketches, Ambika is an amazing artist. You know, actually, I think this is the first time we have mentioned Grok this season. No, it's not. Are you sure? Positive. I don't know. Twitch chat, help me out. Is that correct or not?
2: Let me look at, let's see, where's our suggestions?
0: August 4th needs more Grok. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, but we haven't actually mentioned him on an episode this season. Sent by Anonymous. So definitely not me. (laughs) I would never do that. Well, you know, the thing is, there's only so much you could do with Grok. Like, we've we've described his backstory, we've described his love interest, like, we've described his motivations. Uh, Stop being humble. You have done it all. Fine. I've done all that stuff. Thank you very much. Hey,
2: remember that time you accidentally made up a character that became the avatar for the entire podcast?
0: I mean... You're not wrong, technically.
2: Actually, technically, speaking of that, remember <sighs> that time you turned a hit hey Let's Live chat with Community into a podcast? I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then gave me endless hell because I was running late. Well, that's because you were. <laughs> oh, no, I was absolutely late. Half an hour before it was supposed to start, you went, Oh, by the way, we're doing a podcast. I
0: mean... <laughs> <laughs> I must have been gone for that. Oh yeah, no, that uh, well So So Dark Myth Battler Dark Myth Battler wants to know if Grok is the orc emoji from Myth Weavers.
2: No, no. Grok is not the orc emoji from Myth Weavers. Grok Grok came about in season one of the Weaving Myths podcast, back before you got to see all our handsome mugs. Because Nathan made a joke about an orc named Grok the Dwarf Stomper. And as the myth... Com- it's absolutely your fault. As the Mythweavers communities want to do, they latched on to Grok the Dwarf Stomper. And that became a significant Q&A item through most of season one and part of season two. Developing everything from Grok's personality to his love interests. Everything
0: and now we know how many cheeses he can name
2: (laughs) and now we know that so pretty much nathan nathan made an ill-fated comment and it turned into nathan making a character (laughs) it was an accident i swear (laughs) (laughs) damn it Ruben! oh god okay for those that don't know Ruben is a graphic artist yep
0: and he just drew up grok oh boy Okay, Sarah Cock wants to know Does Grok like Jays? No, his name starts with a G. Nathan's lying Grok loves Jays. No, no, no,
2: no. Unlike his creator.
0: <laughs> but oh, but Grok likes Blunt.
2: Grok likes Blunt a lot. Grok adores Jays. But Colin, I'm the king of the Jays. Which is why Grok loves them, because you're mm. the king.
0: I guess I can't argue with that logic.
2: Tiffany Korda points out that uh, Grokna has a sister named Garage. Oh, boy. Oh, we make sister easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let's 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 move Coward. on. <laughs> move on to what? We're in the free-for-all. I know. Yeah, like, the move-on is Nathan copying out and going let's kill it now before I have to answer more questions.
0: <laughs> No, it's it's we we still gotta do the Patreon script and then we gotta do the the end of episode plug. I know and I still have to edit this. Coward. Excuse me. I don't see you editing any episodes. Hell no, this wasn't my idea. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, will
2: say I, I miss the simple days though. I will say that. What simple days? Back in season one, when we got to ask questions like, what's Nathan's love
0: life? Oh, okay. That was a joke that ran its course. And For we have one more question months. that we can answer before we move on. I also Jimmy, want to know what you guys'... Oh, go ahead. Jimmy wants to know, what is the official Mythweaver's position on cheese? Delicious. It's delicious. Cheese is delicious. Unless you're
2: lactose intolerant. Yep. If you well, are lactose intolerant, just take your lactate and then enjoy the delicious. Because, yeah, cheese. <laughs> I will say, though, you know what I miss most cheese-related? When I was in Sicily, you could buy that fresh, wet mozzarella ball dirt cheese. Oh, uh, you can make those yourself, actually. It's not that hard. Ruben, what free time do you think I have?
1: <laughs> well... By you, I mean the broil you,
2: and oh, by oh you, I mean me. Yeah, I can make all that, the cheese I want. I'd love to have... I am three weeks late in harvesting my beehive.
0: Oh! Is that good geez? or bad?
2: That's bad. That's bad. They okay. could have refilled that uh, super another time easily. Every time I... So I've got the flow hive, that fancy little honey on tap thing. Well, oh, I've nice. Got, I've got the one super. The rest of the hive is traditional because well traditional works, but no, every time I tap the flow super,
0: I get two and a half pounds of honey. <laughs> okay. We have one more question. Or two and a half gallons. One two more and question. And then we're gonna end the show. Coward. What is the official Mythweaver's position on Chi? Chi? Yeah. On the moderator. I, ass- I assume. He's a good dude. Also known as Josh.
2: Ever since the name change, uh, All right. He's yeah, right, he's my buddy, right? He's my buddy, and he's a good person. I love the dude. I like Chi. I like Chi. He's better than that Chimi. <laughs> Way to buddy the waters, man. Oh boy. <laughs> chimi will let me hear about it for months. <laughs> uh, Dark Myth Battler asks, What do you do with two and a half pounds of honey? You sell it and turn it into meat. No, no, I actually haven't done any of that. I don't have time to actually get good at uh, brewing. So <laughs> I'm not doing the mead thing. Oh, man. A that does beer doesn't do the mead. I don't have time for the mead thing. No, mead? mostly mostly with two and a half... And I'm sorry, Dark Myth Battler, it's not two and a half pounds of honey, it's two and a half gallons of honey <laughs> <laughs> per tap. Jeez. And what I do with that is I sell it mostly to my mom's friends on the east side of the state because the east side of Michigan is rich as hell, and they get really excited over Michigan-native raw honey. Well, the nice thing about honey is if you eat it from a local source, it really helps allergies. I will not comment on scientific evidence concerning that because I like selling the honey. (laughs) <laughs> all that right
0: that would only let's, help the value wouldn't it let's move on let's uh let's wrap up the show for the evening so we can get to Mythweaver's after dark patreon plug go yeah. yes i would like to take just a moment to remind everyone that this episode and all the episodes of weaving myths are made possible by our patreon for those of you that don't know patreon is a method for content creators to gain income through the support of those who consume the content I swear I can speak. I'm doing my best. You (laughs) you need me to finish. (laughs) Our Patreon offers a multitude of ways to support the show, and you'll get awesome (laughs) rewards for signing up under any of the tiers. Contributions start at as little as $1 per month, so it doesn't take much at all to show your support. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash As always, contributions... To the Patreon, go to paying for online hosting of the show and supporting Mythweavers, the site we are honored to be a part of. The new video format, which is not really new at this point, but the video format that you're seeing right now was made possible by our incredibly generous patrons. One last thing I should note, Weaving Myths is, always has been, and will always continue to be free, and signing up for the Patreon is never required. Full episodes are always uploaded to SoundCloud within two days of the episode being recorded, and all normal episodes will always be available for download or streaming free of charge. As always, we have our shoutouts, which we gotta do for our patrons who have contributed at the $15 or higher tier. Uh, This is John D, Amanda C, Michael B, Brendan M, Claire F, Amy G, and Christopher M. So thank you guys. As always, you are the best patrons in the world. We love you so much. Uh, You guys rock. Yes, absolutely. So thank you everyone so much for joining us today. It's been a blast, and we appreciate all of the comments and questions, as always, from the text chat. I'm Nathan, and I've been joined by the magnificent Colin. It's been fun, folks. And Ruben. Later days. Thanks for listening, and keep on weaving those myths.